Calvin, you're always talking about innovations in the world of in the in the I automotive am. world. I've just always got ideas, you know, about the automotive world. Uh, What's most your latest? recently, the seatbelt. Okay, it probably hasn't been modified <laughs> in quite a few years. And as I was driving down the road the other day, I was thinking, well, you know, I have an older an older truck, and you know how sometimes the lock thing over the shoulder gets stuck, jammed. That's and the worst. You lean forward, and then you got to lean back, and it keeps sucking you back into the seat. Yeah, I would really like just the hip to hip seatbelt like so in I was the back about, seat in the middle that's right like the back seat middle so i was thinking about you know how could i get my driver's seat to just be hip to hip buckle like the good old days right and would that affect the resale of my vehicle like just by slicing it just by cutting it i think <laughs> well i mean and then tying it or screwing it to the one side okay and then keeping the buckle well it is an interesting thought and in the rv that's all there is is lap belts yeah and in the backseat of cars, all there is is lap belts. Well, actually, some have shoulder straps now, but they're ha- like, I wonder what the legality is with it all because n- we never get in trouble in our RV. No, we don't. And we've been pulled over many times. Well, it's vintage. Yeah. Anyways, I think that's a, I think that's a decent idea. Thank I just. You. So you think I should go for it? <laughs> Slice away, buddy. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to the Open Road Podcast. You are here with myself, Jeremy. And Calvin. And Welcome. for the and for the first time in a long time, we're sitting right beside each other. We're not even over the magical power of the internet. Mono e mono. <laughs> here we are. Mono e mono. My audio is mono and your audio is mono. No stereo. Jerry, I'll tell you a tale, my friend, of uh about May the fourth. Or sorry, May the fifth. And May why the fourth that's such a si- significant day. Um you know, way back in the 1800s, the Hellman's family was coming across from England okay. on a on a steamship. I have no idea where this is going. The Hellman's family, and they were uh, they were kind of they were shooting for um, I don't know where they were coming across, but they ended up you know kind of a hundred or so uh, miles off the coast of Mexico mm-hmm. with their ship, and the ship went down. Okay, and that was May the fifth, and that is why they call it Cinco de Mayo. <laughs> Oh, that is such a bad joke, Calvin. <laughs> that is not even funny at all. Oh, it's good. <laughs> Cinco de Mayo. A little bit of mayo. Wow. Well, that's a good, good start. Um, if, if this is your first time listening to the podcast, welcome. We're all about helping you find more adventure in the everyday. So that's we, right. we typically interview people who are adventuring in some form or another. We share some of our adventures and along the way, we hope that you Gather a nugget or two of wisdom that allows you to wake up in the morning and look at the world in a new and fresh way and find some adventure. I'm really loving just getting back to our regular week schedule. It's, it's been great. It is After, good. I mean, it was nice to have a break over the summer, but I'm really happy to be back and I'm just pumping out these episodes. And we have a bit of a renewed confidence. Um, we've been messaging a bunch of people to try to get them on the podcast. It's and, true. We do. And I, I feel think better about that it. now that we have almost 20 episodes under our belt... We have a decent decent handle on the formula, a decent handle on how to prepare guests for an interview well, and and the adventure for us is now entering, not, I'm not going to say a full maturity stage, but mm. we're getting to a place where we are a little bit more confident in what we're doing in this world of podcasting, which is exciting. Yep. I love it. So, Jer, I was down at my in-laws this past uh, weekend. In-laws, great recipe for a good story. Great recipe for a good story. Not so much about them, but where they live. They okay. have like this 
most amazing garbage and recycling program mm. that they are just a part of because of um, the town they live in. I guess so. Yeah. I guess the town they live in. But I mean, so they got these fancy garbage bins and recycling bins, composting What's bins. What's a fancy recycling uh, bin? It's gigantic, and you can like order all these different sizes, and then you roll it out, and then the truck just uh, has its own little robotic arm that lifts it up and dumps it. It's amazing. It's really cool. So for the recycling and for the garbage, it just grabs it. Same thing. So many I mean, less workers' compensation uh, claims right. from the workers. I'm sure guys are getting caught in that regularly, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> humans getting caught in it. <laughs> stuck in the garbage <laughs> arm again. Playing at the at the lot with the trucks, just people lifting each other up on them. Yes, hilarious. Um, and so, I mean, we don't where I live, we don't have anything too fancy at all. The guys just smash the bins and the can around <laughs> like a crazy person coming and collecting the bin and leave half the stuff in the recycling bin when they yeah. do. Um, but I had a pretty good win the other day. Okay. Uh, I'm pretty good at collecting up batteries oh. around our house and I pile them somewhere. Uh, well, no, that's not true. I pile them many places. But the other day <laughs> I collected a bunch of them and I just put them in my pocket. Okay. These old batteries. And, uh, I did the right thing. And that Threw is them that in the garbage. <laughs> I took them to a proper little battery drop off. Nice. And I just felt like a million, like, I just felt like. You're like, I am a good citizen. Super burb. Yeah. <laughs> and so how many did you get rid of? Like all the stashes Probably in your like house? like six or eight batteries. Six or eight double A's. The only thing we use batteries for are my wireless mouse and my wireless keyboard. Okay, yeah, so double A's. Well, that's interesting um, that you say that. And I recently found a battery recycling at my work, which is unreal. Oh, that's great. Yeah, so they have this little box office. that you can throw them all yeah, in of there, which is perfect. Batteries are a very interesting thing. They're kind of the way of the future. Why are they so poisonous for the garbage? Uh, I just I don't know. I think they just leak the leak the acids and stuff. They'll out. eventually break down. And yeah. I mean. Well, and here's the other interesting thing about it: with the rise of the age of technology, um, and the run, and the what, and the run. <laughs> yeah. The um, the need for batteries is just increasing like crazy. Yes. So there's certain countries. Bolivia is one of them who has a really rich deposit of one of the essential ingredients in batteries and which you is know I, I forget the name okay. of it that's why i didn't say it but uh th- you know there's all of these multinationals and other countries who are like trying to take advantage yeah. of the resource uh in order to supply our phones and our keyboards and mm-hmm. all of the the stuff and you know people are saying there's a wireless future coming so that means we need to keep having better and better battery technology so and Jerry, i think that's one of the reasons why it's good to recycle it because they can reuse some of the stuff right um and you've grown up around batteries, quite literally. Spent your childhood with them. Quite literally. I, uh, you know, Rudy Enns, battery and tire shop, yes. started by Jake Enns, my grandfather. So I've, I know I know the importance of recycling yeah. batteries. You're no stranger enough. to getting a huge jolt of battery acid in your <laughs> eyes either. I was about to say, I think I talked about that on the podcast once, yeah. So I don't know if I had, but uh, anyways, yeah. That's another reason why you don't throw them in the garbage, because you'll... you'll pierce it you'll destroy the garbage pickers as they get battery (laughs) acid all over themselves no but here's the other interesting thing is you know over the years my parents have recycled all the batteries and you get pretty good money for batteries yeah for car battery yeah Uh, i think it's when it's paying really well it's 40 cents a pound and you know a battery can be up to 40 pounds so it's four bucks a battery so you you know it's actually been an interesting piece of uh, revenue for their business right. is recycling batteries. Cool. That's neat. Um, but it's a good thing to do. Recycle your batteries, people. And uh, I think how this ties to adventure, I always like to do that. Yes, is tied in. If we don't reduce, reuse, and recycle, 
we're not going to have a beautiful earth to adventure on. No. Well, we will, but there just might it might be hard. You know what? Is your Here's, opinion... I just had a crazy thought. Okay. If we destroy the environment, is that actually going to be making adventuring more adventurous because you have to travel farther to find beauty? It's entirely possible. So should we keep destroying the earth? I mean, I was just about to ask you, like, <laughs> is your opinion that we're too far gone now? Ooh, I don't know. I just, I've seen you throw plastic in the garbage, and that makes me think that, oh, he must think the earth plastic, is doomed. Plastic goes in the garbage. Oh, true. Some of it, like saran wrap, you can't recycle that. Right. Uh, you've. I thought you were going to say you've seen me throw plastic in a fire, which I've also done. I've done that too. I'm actually. It's uh, bo- it's just borderline too fun to watch. <laughs> <laughs> Melting away. It, I mean, it's no different than burning gas in your car, right? Yeah, but I I don't know. I think the thing that freaks me out about how if I think the world is too far gone, there's more than seven billion people on this earth. Yes, and we're we all need to survive. We all need to consume, and we all need to eat, and while I think in our country generally we consume probably way too much, I'm just kind of like, I don't know. Like I'm kind of used to my lifestyle a little bit, and yep. I don't know if I'm just unwilling to change or, I don't know. I I I just don't see. The, I I got to go to the grocery store to get food, and like I don't like that it's wrapped in all this stuff. But what am I going to do? You're only one man. There are, however, some. Re- I've been actually meaning to do a little bit of research on this. There's a lot of people who have done like experiments in living on like no garbage and in a year they have like a jar full of garbage that that's all they've produced pretty amazing so i've been interested to learn a little bit about how they do what they do and um, bury it all (laughs) we just hide it all (laughs) (laughs) i did this experiment this is all the garbage i have (laughs) you look in there yeah backyard (laughs) there's this huge pit of garbage uh, but there's also there's also I listened to an interesting how stuff works podcast on landfills. Yes, great and podcast. And it seems as though like landfills can easily handle all our garbage. Yeah, I've heard that too. So I there's just so much around it, so much misinformation, so much fear mongering that I'm kind of like I don't know. I just don't know where I stand at the moment. My big thing with the landfills is let the scavengers do what they do. <laughs> What's with all these anti scavenging signs? Like, don't you want that? <laughs> Yeah. Well, another thing that was a little bit frightening to me one time is a couple of times during university, I would go dumpster diving with friends of mine. Scavenger. Scavenger. Great guy. And I was honestly pretty shocked and, and saddened by the amount of food that we waste and throw out. Right. So I think it's a very complex situation and we definitely need to do our part to consume less and to try to do with what's within reason. But Maybe that's not going far enough. Maybe we do need to figure out how we can live off a jar of garbage a year. Mm-hmm. It's food pills, Jer. Food pills. Food pills, man. Just hook up, hook ourselves up to IV bags, get them <laughs> refilled. It's the future, man. Well, anyways, we're gonna have. you know what? If someone out there listening knows of someone who's a, who's experimented in this whole idea of living on zero garbage and 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 being truly a, a sustainable person, we'd love to talk to them. Or if you think that you know more about this than we do, which is <laughs> probably not possible. Definitely not possible. Uh, batteries got batteries. me got me thinking yeah. about the future of uh, vehicles. Yes, um, it's it's happening. Battery operated. We're cars. there. Teslas. You get to drive in the HOV lane. I didn't know that. By one with one person, if you have a battery car. I sat in a Tesla the other day. Did you really? We were at uh, in the back the, seat. No front seat. Whoa. We were at the Yorkdale Mall g- getting ready for Tyrone's bachelor party. Nice. Hilarious place to start at a mall. But anyways. They had a you te- love the mall. I can't get over the mall. I, I can't. I love this is the, the mall. whole new you. 
You're spending every Saturday at the mall. <laughs> Doesn't really buy much. An uh, orange Julius, maybe. <laughs> bag of kernels. <laughs> an orange Julius. <laughs> and just circles. Maybe a new iPhone case from the booth <laughs> at the middle. Anyways, they had a whole storefront that had two Teslas in it. I've seen that. And then yeah. I didn't I had no idea that existed. So I sat in one. It was nice. Yeah? yeah what would cool. you compare it to? Car. Well, the screen was massive. That's what I hear. It has that big it, like, screen. No, it's bigger than that. Like take your computer screen, which is a nice big iMac, flip it this way. Yes. And it was at least that long, like right here. Okay, wow. Like pretty big. Right. Seems distracting. Very distracting. They're watching Minions. Yeah, watching Minions. They put on in a couple uh, seasons of The Office as they're going along. But yeah. anyways. I mean, the car drives itself, so I guess you can do whatever you want. True enough. Drives itself, charges itself. It's just the future. But anyways, they're they're pretty fast, and I, I think they're yeah. doing really well with that technology. Fast, fast growing. Speaking of fast cars. Fast cars. Who do we got on the podcast today? We have a professional race car driver. Unreal. This is a great get for us. We were so excited to to have this guy on. On the podcast. Kyle Marcelli. Yeah, it's Kyle Marcelli, and he's been racing since he was just a young lad, and he really Three takes us... Old. Sorry? Three years old. Since he since he was in the womb, he was racing. Um, but he um, shares a lot of really great insights to the whole wide world of car racing, and it's definitely yeah. something that you look at from the outside, and it's easy to kind of see it as a, either a kind of... I don't know. Is it a sport? Is it a hobby? Is it a? It's a culture. It's kind of a bunch of stuff, and we get into some interesting conversation with Kyle. Yeah, some really shocking stuff that you would never think about, but that makes it all the more difficult. We'll get into it. I won't spoil it all for you, but there's yeah, lots of little details that were really really interesting. So here we go. It's our interview with Kyle Marcelli. He's going to be chatting with us about the adventure of car racing. Here we are with race car driver specialist Kyle Marcelli. Kyle, welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, I appreciate it. Happy to be on. Yeah, really good to have you with us. Um, we got hooked up t- uh, with Kyle through Graham Genvy, who was an uh, a guest a little bit earlier on in the show, and he said, you guys got to chat with Kyle. And when you get the offer to talk with a professional race car driver, I think you say yes. That's what you do. That's what we did. That's what we I've been did. loving the uh, the snowball that we've got going with uh, previous guests hooking us up with our next guest. It's been working really well. Yeah. So thanks for being with us, Kyle. Yeah. No. Again, happy to be here. Sounds like the referral system's working for you. So no need to advertise. <laughs> We're loving it. Yeah. It's been really good. Um, there's a ton of stuff that we could talk about, and Calvin and I, as kind of closet slash kind of outward car enthusiasts, definitely could probably chat for hours with you, but I think one of the main questions burning on our brain is how on earth does one get into car racing and what started this adventure for you? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, and it's one that I, I get, I guess, fairly often, sure. <laughs> uh, you know, especially from, uh, you know, your, your older gentlemen who are car guys and just, um, just had no idea, you know, that, how to get into it really. Yep. Right. Um, but I guess at the end of the day, it's it's much like any other sport, uh, hockey, uh, baseball, you name it. Um, I started off at a young age. I started racing go-karts when I was 10 years old. Awesome. Um, okay. Nowadays, times have changed, and uh, and believe it or not, kids are in a go-kart at like three, four. It's, it's just insane. Wow. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, for me, I kind of grew up in a family of, 
uh, motorheads, you could say. Uh, two of my uncles raced themselves. They raced uh, one on dirt bikes and the other one motorcycles. Cool. Uh, my dad was um, was a mechanic for them. Um, you know, we're snowmobilers in the winter. Uh, just, I, I kind of like to drive whatever. Uh, I have early memories of driving sort of on dad's knee and grandpa's knee in the fields. Um, I had a dirt bike when I was, you know, young, a little 49 or 50 cc. Awesome. And um, the one uncle, um, Mike Marcelli, he, uh, he would take me to the rental go-kart track, um, you know, track you'd go to with your family and uh and i just i just fell in love with it um i can remember coming home one night and uh i sort of had my uncle on my side and we sort of tag teamed my dad and said uh you know i i i, I want to get into racing go-karts my uncle kind of backed me up and said yeah he's really good and, nice and um that's sort of where the dream started uh, again i was 10 years old at the time i can just recall uh you know, saying to myself that this is this is what I want to do, and and to sort of fast forward, um, I guess we'll get into some details later. But to fast forward, it's that's all I ever thought about. I mean, nothing mm. ever crossed mm. my mind. It was I just sort of eat, sleep, and breathed uh, becoming a race car driver. So, like ten years old, that's a pretty big commitment. You, like from your parents, like you're not signing up for ten bit soccer. This is yeah. you know, like do you have to buy a little go kart and everything? And yeah, a trailer and all the gear. Hundred um, percent, and you know that's probably the the biggest challenge of the sport. Right. It's uh, uh, you know some say it, it's a rich man's sport, um, and it, it doesn't have to be. Uh, I like to say that uh, you know you work hard enough, you want it bad enough, dreams come true, no matter what it is. Right, and, and you're you're, uh, you're at an advantage coming from a like mechanic background, DIY kind of family. So I'm sure you guys were able to you know cobble some stuff together. Yeah, so um, I, I I remember my dad knew a guy. My dad was a bricklayer, so I mean we didn't come from a, uh, a wealthy family. We were just sort of average. Um, my dad was a bricklayer. Mom was a real estate agent, and and I remember that my dad had a buddy that uh, that had a go kart, and it was uh, you know we went and picked it up one night, and it was like a the chassis or it was called a bobcat, and I guess in like the you know, 60s or 70s, all the go-karts were named after animals. Um, <laughs> so we brought this thing home, and I was like a kid in a candy store, shining <laughs> it up. Um, and this was in the year 2000, and I think the cart was probably from the 80s or something. Right. Um, we took it to the track one weekend, and uh, sure enough, it, it was not eligible. It was just, it, was, it wasn't safe enough. It was too old. <laughs> so we gave the cart back, and then, uh, and then found a uh, another used go-kart for sale. I think we paid $1,500 and uh, we bought it and that's kind of how we started. Huh. That's right. very cool. Those go-karts are so fun. I was actually just at a family member's house and the grandfather um, bought one for his son years ago and now had actually passed it on to his grandkids and was building a bigger one because the grandkids are getting a little bit older. And those little things absolutely shred and you're <laughs> sitting so low to the ground that I mean, it's just an absolute blast, and you can skid around corners. And were you go kart driving on like a dirt track, and could you like slide around corners and stuff? Was that part of how you would win races? 
Um, no, I was always on pavement. Okay. Um, uh, sort of that first summer, my dad uh, would just take me to actually my school. When he got home from work, we would load the go-kart up on the back of the truck, and we'd go to my school, and I would just drive the thing around the parking lot, uh, around oh, the, bas- wow. the basketball nets, and just sort of get the hang of it. That's awesome. And then, uh, and then I think 2001 was sort of the first year, and this was in Sutton, uh, Sutton, Ontario, the Simcoe Kart Club, and that's sort of where we started racing. But it was uh, always on, on asphalt, uh, sort of closed uh, permanent racetracks, you could say. And so how did you make the jump from, from go-karting to real race car driving? And uh, Calvin and I were kind of doing some a little bit of research before this, and you have driven so many different types of cars. So maybe talk about how you made that jump, and then, I don't know, we can, we'd love to get into some of the details of the different types of racing. Sure. So uh, that transition is probably one of uh, you know the most challenging things to do in sort of the evolution of... Of, of a career in, in the sport, um, yeah. you know, there's a lot of really, really talented uh, go-kart racers that um, are not able to make that transition into cars for a number mm. of reasons. Uh, you know, one reason is that the driving style is completely different. You know, a go-kart has no suspension, and then you jump into a car, uh, and you're dealing with suspension, or you're dealing with, you know, three pedals now instead of two, uh, you're dealing with a little bit more. So some drivers just don't quite make the transition. Right. Um, but probably the bigger of the two uh, obstacles to overcome is the, is the, the, the money side. Um, you know, you can make a career out of racing cars, but, um, uh, you know, in the early stages, you've, you've kind of got to put your dues in. You've got to prove yourself, and so you need to generate sponsorship. Mm, okay. Uh, so I was racing go karts uh, competitively, you know, up in, from 2000 up until 2006, uh, and I started to race all over North America, uh, shifter karts, and um, I was driving for sort of one of Canada's premier go karting teams, and so I had a lot of support from them. Uh, they they funded a lot of the go karting because even just at that level, it got expensive. Sure. Um, but then when it came that time to transition to cars, uh, a lot of my competitors you know, across North America were, were racing a, a series called Formula BMW. Um, sort of my, my goal or my vision at the time was open wheel racing. I was infatuated with Indy cars and Formula One yep. cars. So this series called Formula BMW USA was sort of, at the time, the popular series where all the best go-kart racers were going into. Um, I started making a couple of phone calls to team owners in that series, and uh, it was three hundred thousand uh, dollars that I needed to bring to the team just to be able to get, the, get to race the car for one season. And how old are you at the, at this point? I'm sixteen. Imagine uh, looking uh, at three hundred thousand dollars when you're sixteen. That's wild. Yeah. So I mean, it was uh, it was it was a huge obstacle, and um, again, our, our family couldn't couldn't write a check for that. Uh, sure. So, of course, I pounded on a bunch of doors trying to find sponsorship, and um, I, couldn't, I couldn't generate that kind of money. So I had some uh, influencers in my career at the time, some guys I looked up to, and they suggested uh, that I look at a series called the Formula Ford uh, 1600 series. Again, an open-wheel race car. Uh, this was a Canadian series. Um, called a couple of teams, and the budget was about 50000 So I thought, okay, this is a little more attainable. Um, that year, this was in 2007 now, my, my father gave me permission to go through his Rolodex. His, he had a, a little black binder, I remember, full of business cards that he's just collected over the years. Everybody yeah, right. knows. 
So I called every single name in his book. Wow, good for you. <laughs> and I was just like, hi, I'm uh, Tony Marcelli's son. I'm, uh, you know, I'm, I'm just getting out of racing go-karts, looking to pursue a career racing cars, and I'm trying to generate sponsorship. Wow. And, and so I, I didn't ask for a lot. I, was, I asked folks for anywhere from $100 to $500. I kind of said, right. sponsoring your local hockey team. And, yep. You know, we'll give right. you a receipt. You can write it off. And anyway, so I got about twenty-five thousand. Good for you. Um, and then I had, uh, I had a local sports store here, um, Action Sports. They sold ATVs and dirt bikes and stuff. That I uh, sort of donated my time three days a week after school in exchange for a five thousand dollars sponsorship. And so I got that deal, and I was able to sort of piece it all together. I got the money. Uh, you know, drove for this team, Brian Graham Racing, in the in the form of the Ford sixteen hundred series here in Canada, and uh, and won the championship. Wow! So that was sort of the kickoff, and um, and, and and to the career, anyways, in in the world of auto racing. Wow! Good for you. And and how old were you when you won that? I was seventeen. Seventeen. I mean, wow. Barely even has his G two, and he's just shredding. And <laughs> who, would, would um all of the other people in that race have been in your age category, or would it just have been a wide range of different racers? Yeah, yeah. There's quite a variety. Uh, you know, a couple of young guys, um, and then a couple of older guys. It re- really varied. And what what kind of car were you racing in that? Um, um like so even again, describe open wheel just briefly for us, maybe for those listeners who might have no idea what that even means. Yeah, so uh, well, the pinnacle, basically the highest level of open wheel racing in in North America is called IndyCar. Uh, you see, like the Indy 500, for example. Right. Uh, in 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 the world, it's Formula One. Um, but what that is is basically a, a purpose built race car. It has, uh, you know, it's it's not enclosed with bodywork, so the wheels are exposed. Basically, is that open wheel term, uh, and it's a single seater. So you've kind of got this center cockpit where the driver sits, and then the wheels are sort of exposed. Um, you know, at the time it was powered by a, a, a Ford 1600cc engine, hence the term, the form of the Ford. Yep. And uh, it's sort of a, that series is a, a, a global series, the, this form of the Ford. It runs all over the world and it's kind of that entry level. It's that first step into open wheel professional racing, if you will. Hmm. And um, is that, does 1600 stand for the size of the engine? Yeah, 1600 cc's. So if you went up to, say, Formula One, what size engines are, are they running, just for reference? Yeah, yeah it varies. Um, I mean, right now, to believe it or not, they're, they're running, like, uh, V6 turbos. Oh. Um, but they're getting, like, 800 horsepower out of them. Wow. So <laughs> uh, the, the technology and, uh, in, in Formula One is, is quite, quite crazy. Yeah, um, I actually went to a Formula One race uh, at the Hockenheim Ring in Deutschland, Germany. Oh, lovely, yeah. And it was absolutely the most insane thing I have ever seen, potentially in my entire life. <laughs> like the really? speed, yeah, Calvin. I don't know if I've ever even told you this, but no, the speed so. at which these vehicles shredded down the track just absolutely blew my mind, and the sound of these cars. We had earplugs in, and it was deafening. When you took the ear, we, I think we took our earplugs out for the last kind of four or five laps. It was just absolutely bonkers how loud this was. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal Man. experience. Very cool, cool to what, see. What year was that that you went? Um, it would have been in, actually probably right around the time when you were getting into racing. Uh, it would have been about 2005. Okay. So right a, while, a while back now, mm. but so yep. maybe different cars as well. Technology uh, changed a bunch. Yeah, I think at the time they might have been might have been using like V10 or V12 engines. Actually, at that time, um, 
And all now they're using V6s, eh? Yeah. So really what's happening in the world of auto racing is everything's becoming more sustainable. You know, they're trying to be more environmentally friendly and um Hence why they're running V6 turbos now. But yep. anyways, yeah, that's cool. I, uh, I've done some racing at Hockenheim Ring myself. Wow. Uh, and, oh, wow. Uh, it was a super track. Uh, the Europeans take racing uh, you know, to another level. Yeah, right. that was, I think, one of the most shocking things for me during that experience is I had never, ever experienced race culture. I mean, I had seen maybe on TV like the Daytona 500 or some other NASCAR thing. But to actually be there and see the thousands and thousands of people and the culture that was built around racing was very fascinating for me are uh kyle like are the drivers that do that kind of european uh formula one style driving and then guys that do nascar are they like at all compatible like would they be able to go back and forth with uh with racing or are they just two completely different animals no it's a good question um you know what i find is that uh once you get to the the, the pinnacle of um of the sport mm-hmm. um you know, there's a couple of different genres. Again, I try to break it down for for those who maybe don't uh, know the sport that well. But you've got um, you know open wheel racing, as we discussed, the pinnacle for that mm. form, Formula One and IndyCar. Yep. Uh, you've then got uh, NASCAR, and, and um, well, I should say you've got stock car racing. You know, your local um, you know circle track stuff, and the pinnacle for that is the what we know as the NASCAR Sprint Series. You'd see right. that one of five hundred. Yep. And then you've got um, sports car racing. And, um, you know, uh, the pinnacle for that is sort of like uh, the, the Le Mans series. Uh, it's the European Le Mans series, or here it's the, uh, it's formerly the American Le Mans series. They've, they've renamed it. But anyways, you've kind of got four different types of racing, open wheel racing, stock car racing, and uh, uh, sports car racing, sorry, three. And what I find is once you can kind of establish yourself as a professional in any one of those, it's a mm-hmm. little bit easier to sort of sidestep. Um, right. You know, you do see some Formula One drivers uh, that are now racing in uh, IndyCar, or you see some uh, IndyCar guys that jump over to NASCAR, uh, or Formula One or IndyCar guys that jump over to the sports car racing side. So, um, right. once once you can kind of establish yourself, it's a little bit easier to 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 move sideways. Um, but so, did you have a good uh, a good idea of which uh, direction you uh, you wanted? Like, you, you wanted to do the open wheel racing, and were you on track? Uh, with uh, where you are now, kind of in your story, jumping back a bit here. Yeah, well, I, I um, initially open wheel racing was sort of the goal, the dream, um, but that was kind of short lived. I did mm-hmm. I raced I raced open wheel cars really only for uh, two full seasons, and then a little bit of sort of one off uh, races. Huh. Uh, 2007, we we won the championship here in Canada. 2008, I went to the U.S. and raced. Uh, it was called the Formula Ford 2000. We finished third in the championship, and then I did just sort of a handful of uh, open wheel races after that. And uh, the reason for that is um, t- to move forward. The budgets were just getting so high uh, uh, that oh, you know, right. I was at a point where the next step was Indy Lights. So Indy Lights in hockey terms is like the OHL. So right. That was sort of the next step for me, but you needed a half a million dollars. You needed three quarters of a million dollars just to just to get in. Um, and that's because so. you just keep you need to keep jumping up to different teams. Well, yeah, at those levels, none of the drivers are considered you know professional. None of them are being paid. It's right. It, they're still kind of ent- uh, kind of like the junior levels. Um, and, and as a race car driver in that 
genre, uh, you're not being paid until you reach IndyCar or Formula One. So until you get there, uh, you're trying to just really make a name for yourself and, and, and pay right. your dues. You're trying to win races at all of these lower categories so that you get your, your shot at the big leagues. But um, until you get there, it requires a heck of a lot of sponsorship. And so um, I just got to a point where I couldn't raise the money needed in open wheel racing that uh, I had an opportunity to go sports car racing. So, you know, race cars that we see on the streets every day, the, you know, Camaros, uh, Audis, and uh, I had an opportunity to go sort of jump over to that uh, genre of the sport and, and actually make a career at it and, and get paid. Um, and so I sort of took that opportunity as soon as it came and gave up on the open wheel thing. Right, and so that's the same structure, whereas um, like you hop on with a team and you're, uh, you're paying your entry fee to, to be on the team there? Well, um, in the lower levels of sports car racing, yes, um, mm -hmm. but sort of at the higher levels of sports car racing, uh, the drivers are paid. Um, oh, okay. So that's, that's kind of where I'm at now since 2010. It's really been uh, a full-time profession for me. That, that's all I do. I'm uh, just, wow. just focus on my ability behind the wheel now. Good for you. And so is it kind of like every season you get a new car or are you always driving different cars? Is it a car that is like how does your what car are you driving right now? Uh, so this year uh, I'm in a um, Audi R8 GT3. Um, That'll do. The, <laughs> this, <laughs> the, uh, the series is called the Pirelli World Challenge. Uh, and this is, uh, you know, one of the top sports car racing series in North America. Um, but it features all of the most exotic sports cars from Bentleys, McLaren, Porsche, um, Audi, sort of you name it. Um, so it's a really, really exciting series where you just, you know, see every manufacturer go head to head. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, so that's kind of where I'm at this year. Huh. Do you um do you ever get scared while you are behind the wheel? Um <laughs> No, I don't ever get scared. You definitely have a couple of uh, you know, oh crap moments. Um Like what would one of those be? Uh we do a couple of street course races throughout the year. So, uh, if you're familiar with the Toronto Indy in in Ontario, or we would call that a temporary street circuit. Okay. Um on the sports car side, we have one in St. Petersburg, Florida, and we have one in uh, Long Beach, California. And um I mean, you're doing 150, 160 miles per hour, so you know, 250, 260 kilometers <laughs> Unbelievable. And just in between concrete walls and uh in the streets. <laughs> Yeah, and I recall earlier this year at St. Petersburg, uh, qualifying, you're kind of letting it all hang loose. You're getting everything you can out of the car, just trying to set the right. best to determine your starting position for the race. And I came into turn three and was heading straight for the wall and just, just escaped by the skin of my teeth sort of thing and just sort of shaved off the mirror wow. on the right side. No. But it was, and, and then you don't lift. You just you keep it going because you're on a flyer lap, and it's just like, oh crap, that was close. <laughs> and your little mirror's hanging down. <laughs> so, but other than that, no. I mean, uh, all the cars are going the same direction and and pretty much the same speed. So it's not like yeah. you know, it's not. Would, like uh, so would sports car racing be considered uh, like the safer option? Because like, does it still have an airbag? Uh, no airbag. Uh, good no question. Airbag. No, can't say really? I've ever had that one. <laughs> um, so there's, I mean, there there are 
purpose-built race cars at, at this level anyway. Okay. So even though it's an Audi R8, it's not yeah. rated. Not they're obviously rated not coming off the dealership. No. So uh, they're, it's the Audi R8 sort of shell. Uh, yeah. the oh, okay. And transmission and, and engine, uh, you know, some of the suspension components will be the right. same. But sort of from a safety perspective, there's a purpose-built uh, roll cage Right. Um, on the inside, and then a proper seat and a five-point sort of harness, and so you're strapped in there pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, would, the, would there be different crumple zones than a normal car, than like a normal yeah. R8s, just to, to ease the impact? Yeah, there's crash boxes, uh, that, which is sort of the term for them anyways, on the driver's side door. Okay. It just absorbs some impact. Um, and, and things have come a long ways uh, from, from where they used to be. I mean... Um, you know, in sixties and seventies, it wasn't unheard of for for you know a couple of drivers a year to pass away, sort of thing. But right. nowadays, the tracks have have gotten a lot safer. Yeah. Uh, you know, the runoff areas and corners and and the cars themselves have come a long way. I love that comment. It so seems so nonchalant. You know, we're going two fifty, two sixty, but we're all going in the same direction. I mean, <laughs> yeah. What's the worst that could happen? Exactly. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, I, I mean, I get so, scared. I get more scared driving on the highway um, with, with other drivers who. <laughs> oh, hundred percent. Yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, I, yeah. I guess we do probably take the average human takes more risk than than you potentially. Hundred percent. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, but when I think about race car driving, like I, you're so you would be so focused, and uh, that would be like so much part of your your overall safety value is in your focus and driving and think about when you're just driving on the road it's uh, you're pretty distracted yeah no driving on the road is uh, i would say 10 times the the, the danger i mean oh. you're dealing with cars going every which direction cars going random speeds uh you know some <laughs> drivers paying attention some are on their phone some are putting their makeup on um other Teenagers. animals running across the road it's way more difficult huh so i so actually oh go ahead calf just a one more question going back to like sports car racing i know very little about all of this but uh, for nascar i know that like it's uh, like all of those cars are are they essentially identical cars in, in a nascar race uh, yeah, pretty much. Um, like you'll in NASCAR, I think there you got three manufacturers. You've got okay. uh, Chevrolet, Ford, and Toyota. And so the what they do is they'll market. Uh, well, each of those manufacturers will, will market their involvement mm-hmm. basically from um, from the bodywork that's on the car. You know, it'll it'll match okay. that of a yep. of a Chevy Impala. Yeah, I see. Um, so then sports car, like, are you racing then only against other Audis or other uh, manufacturers all no, mixed it's together? All in there. Yeah, so no, in sports car racing, sort of the unique thing about that is you're racing against, you know, all, all the other manufacturers okay. as well. And uh, the term race on Sunday, sell on Monday really applies where, you know, if right. the, the Audi wins the race on Sunday, uh, you know, the, the fans that were at the race that are looking to buy a car are probably going to be right. more to go buy themselves an Audi. Yeah, you know, that's then, really uh, interesting. Um, yeah. are, there, so, are there rules around, um, we have so many questions, it's great. Are there <laughs> rules around, um, th- like, you know, if you have an Audi here and a Ferrari here around what you can do to the motors, is it capped at a engine size? Can you do whatever you want to it? I watched a video of you today that was amazing. It was you just like destroying other vehicles. I think you passed 50 cars in the video. We'll post it um, in the show notes and on the website. That was amazing. But so what's the what's the rules on what kind of car you can have and what sure. the difference in the motors are? 
So, um, you know, again, I'll try to dummy this down really as much as possible, but um, today's world of racing, um, you know, the, the series are, are trying to do their best to make the racing competitive. And so uh, in the old days, yeah, I mean, Chevy would, would show up to the track and they'd have, you know, they'd bring their best of the best of the track and they and Ford would show up and, and they would compete head to head. But um, money would, uh, money in politics kind of uh, play a big role um, in the competitiveness. I mean, if you have more money to spend, chances are you're going to be the one winning the races because you can just spend more on the development and testing. Right. So they've tried to, the series, um, just because of the economy, really, I mean, they've tried to sort of cost cap the sport in a way. So oh, interesting. To sort of summarize uh, the Pirelli World Challenge, which is where the, the Audi R8 that I'm in, we, the series here in North America, um, it's a GT3 car. So now uh, Porsche also builds a GT3 car. Um, uh, BMW builds a GT3 car. Ferrari, sort of the list goes on. And this GT3 um, it's a homologation. It's a, it's a certain uh, bit of criteria where it's a certain amount of downforce the car has to produce, a certain, okay. a certain um, you know, amount of horsepower, a certain weight. And it all gets put into sort of this calculation of that and, and then gets a stamp as, that, okay, that's their GT3 car. If that, ah. if that makes sense. So yeah, one, no, that makes total sense. One car's not showing up with 400 horsepower where the other one's showing yeah. up with 700. Um, so there's then, a few different levers that you can tweak but in the end it all kind of works into this calculation to mean it's a similar car that is fits the criteria yeah exactly that's sort of the simplest way to put it is um is you have this gt3 homologation that there's dozens of, of manufacturers that produce a gt3 car now and and they can all compete competitively against each other um, then you still have a ton of engineering that takes place from you know your your springs your dampers your ride heights uh um, th there's a lot that goes on that we will tune on the car during the race weekend um, right but for the most part, all of the manufacturers are competitive against each other. So are you mm. loving your Audi right now? And do you have to say yes? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I do. Uh, I mean, it's, um, it's the Audi and, and every, every car that's really on the grid, they're just, for lack of a better word, they're just sexy cars to look at. Yep. And so it just gets me excited getting behind <laughs> the wheel. Like, uh, <laughs> you know what I mean? If I was racing a, on a Civic, I might not get as excited sure. as, as I do right. jumping in the R8. Yeah, totally. Yeah, no, that's great. And how many horsepower does 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 it have? And is it a, is it are they V10s or V12s? I think they're V10s. No, uh, it's a V10. Yeah, yeah. and uh, we're about 450 horsepower um, hmm. car. That's great. Yeah. Um, so I, I have a question. What does it mean to be kind of on a race team? I've heard that thrown around. I think so. Um, you talked a little bit about it before, but how does the structure of the team look like uh, where you are now? Um, so this particular team, uh, team is CRP Racing. Uh, they're based out of Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, the team is made up of mechanics, engineers, um, uh, team managers, team owners, right. sponsors. Um, you know, and then you've got the driver. Um, so there's quite a lot that goes into it for the team. It's their full-time job. You know, they, uh, they maintain the preparation of the car between races. Um, 
they entertain, they have sponsorship commitments to fulfill sort of thing. Um, and are they typically just one driver or are they often, can, can they be multiple drivers? Um, multiple cars? Yeah. yeah, it can be sort of all the above. Um, okay. You know, this particular team, we're just, we're one car. I'm the only okay. driver. Uh, there's other teams on in the series that run three cars and have three drivers. So, um, sort of sky's the limit. What was, uh, right. I, I like this idea of team. What was the, um, what was the first meeting like? I mean, you are the driver and these are all people who are working to make sure that your car runs so that you can do what you do and are probably, you know, hoping that you're pretty good pretty good at actually racing if they're sure. all going to sink all this time and uh, effort into it um what was that like meeting the team for the first time yeah good question um you know of course there's there's pressure involved in in that regard it's uh it's a new relationship you want to you want to do well you want to impress um you don't want to damage the equipment <laughs> of course mm, um right so, I mean, I really, really try to do my best to uh, make sure I say hello to every one of the guys. You know, when I show up in the morning, I make sure to say goodbye to every one of the guys when I leave at the end of the day. It's, uh, you know, I, I kind of have, I guess you could say, um, I don't even know if the main job, but, um, you know, every role is important. You know, the guy that's cleaning the car to the guy that's changing the gearbox. Right. You happen to be kind of the focal point guy, but there's, you know, there's many, so uh, much going on, many pieces involved here. Exactly. So, I mean, it really is a, really is a team effort and, um, everybody has to pull their own weight, Mm -hmm. um, in order to, to win. Yeah. That's awesome. So what does a day look like? That's not a race day. Like what, uh, what kind of training is necessary on your end? Um, well, I mean, more the merrier, really. Uh, it's funny because a lot of the average person, you know, thinks that a race car driver is not an athlete, and you know, you think right. a, gol- a golfer is not an athlete, but just got to hold their bladder. <laughs> yeah. Well, you don't really. <laughs> not even that. that. No. <laughs> um, There's a bag yeah, for that. <laughs> to give you an idea, like I uh, wear a heart rate monitor in the car, and um, in some of the endurance races, uh, I'll be in the car for you know, three hours. Usually, is sort of the longest stint. Uh, my heart rate will average 160 for for three hours. It'll, oh, it'll no, it'll, it'll peak at 190. Um, so you have a ton of ton of adrenaline, oh. going. and uh, the 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 level of focus that's required, sort of when when your adrenaline's that high, is uh, um, is is that tough. Is amazing. That's so, well, you must just collapse when you're done. Yeah. I, so I dealing with I'm... the heat is probably one of the biggest challenges. Wow. No you AC. Just, <laughs> no AC, no, and it uh, it gets upwards 140, 150 degrees Fahrenheit inside the car. No, it's uh, for me, especially as a Canadian, that's the biggest struggle. Yeah, that's uh, a battle. It's and uh, there, yeah, there's no wind vents because that would screw up the aerodynamics. Yeah. yeah. So uh, there's a oh lot that goes gosh. into it. I mean, right from a mental uh, from the mental perspective. Um, I uh, have a few you know, computer training programs that just focus on uh, well focus and reaction timing. Okay. Uh, um, there's a uh, the gym that I go to. There's a a room that is that was actually designed for goaltenders, uh, hockey goalies, and it's basically a dark room full of lights. And uh, with, as the light goes off, you have to hit it, um, and they'll be going off in every which direction. And at the same time, you have to focus on this you know seven digit uh, reading in front of you that pops up and you know. And it has uh, seven random numbers, so that's good for again reaction timing. Oh, that's really cool. That sounds way more boring than just practicing by driving. 
and uh, we have we have race simulators that we do some work on as well. Uh, I, I really try to do the best I can from an engineering perspective, really understanding uh, what changes to the car, um, uh, sort of what they do. I mean, I could feel them, but uh, yeah. for me to be able to give that feedback to the engineer is important. So mm. working on the simulator is uh, is a common thing. Um, uh, but I mean, we're not lifting weights to be, uh, you know, to be a bodybuilder or anything like that. It's, yeah, right. it's, it's more endurance training than anything. Huh. So uh, I'm sure Kyle, the guy, has other hobbies besides racing. What what can we find you doing on a weekend for fun? Um, if I got a weekend off, yeah, I'll if probably, <laughs> I'll probably be up north uh, fishing. Oh yes. Oh wow. That's what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, I like to catch me some fish and fillet it and then eat it. Yes. Yeah. Excellent. You're in good company with us. Right on. Uh, that's great. Do you have a cottage or something up north that you go to? <laughs> yeah, we're um, Port Loring, Ontario. Um, so you could take, uh, for those in Ontario, you could take Highway 69 towards Sudbury and then uh, yeah. then you'd, take, you'd, you'd get off just before Sudbury and go down Highway 522. Yep. Um, yeah, and we're, we're right there. It's about three hours north of Barrie. Oh. Yeah, yeah, nice. We're way up there. That's great. So, uh, Kyle, where can we uh, look for you in some upcoming race days? So I hit the road um, next week. I'll be on the road for about five weeks. Um, kind of go all over. We start in California uh, and then work our way to Virginia, um, Georgia, back to California, and then finish off in Louisiana. That's sort of the next five weeks. Wow. And uh, so, yeah, it'll be quite busy. Yeah. So do you guys take a bus for that? How, how do you uh, arrange the whole team all together? Well, one day I hope to have a plane, but uh, we're not there yet. <laughs> that uh, would be the dream. A couple, yeah. couple more Rolodexes <laughs> you need. <laughs> yeah. No, everybody pretty much flies. Um, okay. You know, unlike a band has the tour bus uh, and racing, everybody's coming from different parts, really. Oh, I see. Um, so we kind or of Or you just, said you're racing for a Charlotte team. Yeah, so right. we all just hop on a plane and... You know, spend our days between airports and hotels. Life of a rock star. <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it, it it sounds pretty glamorous, but it's on the inside. You know, there's so much more that goes on. Just oh to, yeah, just you're to, dead inside. Just to get behind <laughs> the wheel. Um, I I think that you're married, correct? Yep. So does your wife get to come with you sometimes, or all the time, or no times? Yeah, she uh, she comes with me. I mean. Probably about half the races. She'd love oh, to that's come pretty them good. all. Oh, that's really uh, good. Wow. If she could. But, um, yeah, somebody's got to pay the bills, so I make her. <laughs> <laughs> She's the workhorse. While the, while the guys are out having fun racing cars. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Got me a sugar mama. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Um, one thing we like to chat about uh, on this podcast, and you, and you alluded to a little bit uh, at the very beginning, Obviously, we, we love talking about adventure, and we've really enjoyed hearing your uh, story of getting into car racing and the the adventure that that's led you on. And a really interesting element uh, for me was hearing about the way that you've really just kind of grinded out, you know, going th- like really the whole process to get where you are. Yeah, um, a career. I, I would say I kind of had a little bit of the same assumption that you mentioned at the beginning about it kind of being a rich man's sport. So it's really cool to hear your story of kind of overcoming some of those um, challenges. Uh, do you have any advice for 
people in terms of, uh, you know, if they wanted to add some more adventure to their everyday or to their life or kind of chase after a new hobby or a new career path? Any advice for, for folks? Yeah, um, well, the first thing may sound pretty cliche, but it's, uh, I mean, it's a, it's a line I like to live by. And, and I mentioned it earlier that if you, you work hard enough, you want a bad enough, dreams come true. And that, I mean, that follows, uh, you know, any, anything you want to do. Uh, really, I just, you know, don't set, um, don't set any roadblocks or, or anything like that for yourself because mm, yeah. anything's possible. Uh, it just takes a little work, uh, a little effort, a little persistence. Um, but I mean, finding adventure in the everyday life. I mean, I do like that's a great tagline, and um, yeah, I mean, this world is. Uh, I mean, it's pretty amazing. There's there's it, there's a lot that it has to offer, right? And I think we we often get caught up in our day to day lives in our own communities uh, or our own towns. But there's uh, there's 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 just kind of so much going on. It's 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 pretty amazing. Um, so I think I you know explore a little bit i mean step outside your comfort zone do something uh that you haven't done uh you know makes me think of that movie the yes man say yes every now and then and and, and do something that you're you're not comfortable doing that's great great that's great and even taking Kyle, oh go ahead Kelf. So, well just on the same topic while we're talking about this how can we you know of tips driving our daily grind commute jeremy now you know we're just uh Pretty average Joe lifestylers here. So uh, how can we add a little more spice to our commute in our cars? A <laughs> couple of driving tips from a race car driver. Without getting a speeding ticket or? You know, Ideally. Just, what, no, I don't care. Whatever advice you have to offer, we're willing to hear. Oh, man. Well, I think you can have the most fun in the winter and, and stay out of trouble, to be honest. Like, you have to, you have to go pretty quick to, to get any real thrill. Uh, in, <laughs> That's in, true. Uh, when, when the roads are dry, but uh, little snow hits and you can have a lot of fun. Um, yeah, sliding around. Yeah. I mean, honestly, if there was a, if there was a tip that comes to mind, it's probably vision. Like it, it, it may seem simple, but, um, I find a lot of drivers just look at what's right in front of them and not what's down right. the road. You know, my yeah, dad, I avoided a serious uh, tire today from a transport truck cause I was looking down the road. Good advice. There you go. Yeah. My dad always used to tell me, um, uh, coming from more of the snowmobile background, but he's like, you got to keep, you know, or keep one, one eye on the car in front of you and then one eye down the road. And I'm always trying to like make this weird cross eye. <laughs> Look, I'm like, what do you mean? How, how do does I, he do this? How do I keep one eye on the car in front of me and one eye down the road? That's impossible. But, uh, I mean, in a nutshell, it's just, yeah, look far down the road. It'll pay dividends. That's great. Um, and now I have one more, even more specific tip. Um, it turns out we drive a, a similar vehicle, a, a, a Volkswagen GTI. Yeah. Now yours is a bit newer than mine, but how can I get some additional performance out of that car? What's something that I should try, or what's something fun that you've done with your with your vehicle? Uh... Well, um, again, deal when you're dealing with um, driving on the street, speed is is kind of irrelevant. You get a ticket pretty quickly. So I'm more of an aesthetics person when it comes to my day-to-day vehicles and uh, so I just did um, the Eibach Pro Kit which is a cheap way of um, uh, really lowering and stiffening uh, the suspension on the car Uh, and it it really gives the the, the car a great sort of profile look Um, and it's a much more cost-effective way than doing what uh, what we'd call coilovers or a coilover kit. So just Eibach, Eibach Pro Kit. 
It was like four hundred dollars, and uh, uh, it makes the car look great and perform really great through the corners. Sweet. I was gonna say, and now the tip on how to pitch it to your wife. Four hundred <laughs> bucks isn't that crazy. I can save up my uh, personal pennies for a couple of months, and we're we're almost there. Yeah, um, <laughs> I don't know. How you're gonna sell her on that one. Together. <laughs> no, that's great. Tell her it Safer. comes with a handbag. Yeah, seriously, that'll do it. You buy the pro kit, and it comes complimentary handbag. <laughs> From whatever hey, store something that want. we didn't actually talk about, but um, like, how did you learn how to do all this? Like, do you have a coach currently, and were you previously uh, coached in in the fine art? Yeah, or did your uncles just see raw talent and then help you hone it? That's a good question, Kyle. Um, no, it's it's funny because nowadays coaching is so popular. I mean, I I'm a coach myself uh, for okay. another, for another driver, um, but no, I I never had a coach huh. uh, other than sort of in the early stages or early years, my dad's and my uncles uh, telling me how to drive. Um, right. Yeah, it's it, it's sort of trial and error, really. Right. Well, so even I mean, is that typical of? Uh, in where you stand now on, on your team, do a lot of those guys not have coaches? Um, you know, the big budget teams that have uh, just, you know, extra cash will, will yeah. probably have uh, a coach employed, okay. a, a spotter employed. But uh, but that's, that's not the case for, for our program. Right, We're trying to keep it lean. <laughs> Spend the money where it's really necessary. Yeah, exactly. We need more tires. <laughs> Awesome. Well, this has been really great, Kyle. Thanks so much for walking us through some of the the intricacies and kind of keeping it simple so that we could understand uh, the very fascinating world of car racing. This was, this yeah, was really great. Interesting. Yeah, well, guys, I appreciate it. Um, yeah, thanks for having me on. Maybe next time we'll talk uh, talk a little bit about fishing. Yeah, that'd be good. That would be great. Where can, uh, <laughs> where can people connect with you if they want to keep in touch with what you're doing? Uh, I mean, I've got all the usual social media stuff um instagram and and facebook is probably most popular and uh of course there's a lot of youtube stuff out there as well so you can you can check me out there perfect and we'll make sure to post to all that stuff yeah great on guys well appreciate it and let's we're gonna uh, make you famous cal later in the year thanks brother take care wow what a great guy very happy to have him on I would love to sit in the front seat of his car and go for a spin with him. As he goes for a barrel roll. <laughs> Mine is the fact that I'm sure his race car does not have any extra seats in it. It might. Could you believe how, uh, when you talk about how hot it is in there? That's the craziest thing. I can't believe how hot it is like, and for how long you have to sit there. Just imagine that mental game. I mean, think about how tightly you're strapped in there, too. Oh, that's yeah, wild. You can't even wriggle around. Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah, it's it really was cool. It was neat to kind of hear how it's like in some ways a profession that you have to work at yes right where you're yes. where you are doing mental exercises yeah. and all kinds of that other like stuff like that, that goalie training yeah yeah, yeah. really neat it's not like he's a guy who can hop in a car and race just for kicks like yeah just because he, as a professional there's a lot of other stuff that goes on yeah i wonder if he like naturally tails people on the highway you know <laughs> because i mean when you do that a lot you might, you just get used to how close you can get, right? I mean, he he must be so used to that in his race car. Right, and his reaction time, I'm sure, is significantly faster right. than the average Joe Schmo. He's just the worst guy to have behind you. <laughs> I wonder if he can uh, text and drive. I'm sure he can. I'm sure he can do so <laughs> many things. Drive with his knees. Yeah. Yeah, drive eating a Baconator. <laughs> All these things.
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so anyways, thanks again, Kyle, for coming on the show. We uh, appreciated your perspective and had a great time listening to the adventure of race car driving. Yeah, be sure to check out his uh, videos online and on uh, on YouTube. They're really cool, some uh, pretty funny ones. And uh, yeah, follow all his uh, social media stuff. Yeah, we're going to put a, a video to him shredding uh, at a racetrack, which is a pretty neat, yeah, pretty that's neat video. And on our Instagram page, uh, we got a bunch of great media from graham genby who yes. was our previous episode who's friends with kyle uh he gave us a bunch of cool pics and videos so go to our instagram at open road pod for that one and yeah for sure go and follow at kyle marcelli all right open road podcast we'll catch you next week thanks guys it was great to chat with you we hope that this episode helped you find a little bit more adventure in your everyday um i won't name names um but uh, I was racing in Europe in 2011, I think this was. Um, Against Michael Schumacher. <laughs> no, I was doing uh, some endurance racing. So this was part of the European Le Mans series. Yep. Uh, these races were, um, this particular race was three hours. But anyways, not to go off on a, on a rant, my co-driver. So in endurance races, you'll have a teammate. And okay. um, you'll actually change drivers in the pit stop. Oh, so, wow. Um, you know, the average endurance race is three hours, but the, the longest one is 24 hours, and there's a few other lengths in between. But anyways, you'll have anywhere from two to three drivers, and because um, the car only goes about an hour on a tank of fuel, you've got to come in the pits and do tires and do fuel, and you'll, you'll actually do a driver change. So I was doing uh, some racing in Europe, with, uh, and, and my teammate was just, um, um, I don't know, I guess a, a little showboatish in the <laughs> rental car. <laughs> And, oh no! Um, we were. This was in England, and he was. Oh, as we left the hotel every morning on the way to the racetrack, and and leaving the racetrack every evening on the way back to the hotel, he was just gunning it. As you know, and uh, what was this little rental car? It was a BMW of some sort, oh, nice. so a pretty nice rental car. Ooh. And um, of course, we had navigation, but I mean, he's just flogging it like through the prairie lands where there's like cattle running across the road. And again, this is England. So small towns will come like flying through these little towns over bridges. And it was wrong side uh, of the road. Yeah. And he kept yelling, <laughs> he kept sort of yelling at me, uh, you know, Kyle, g- give me pace notes. Give me pace notes as, as if we're rally racing. Sort of thing. <laughs> so I'm like uh, left turn in 150 meters, uh, right turn in, in, in 300 meters. And uh, every day it was like. I had to say my prayers when I made it to the uh, <laughs> to the destination alive. Yeah. Um, anyways, the very last day, his uh, his fiance was there with us as well, and uh, the very last day, we're leaving the hotel. We'd we'd, we'd finished the race. We finished third in the race, and uh, we're leaving the hotel now on the way to the airport. Sure enough, we've got to just goose it leaving the parking lot. <laughs> and this time, this time, the fiance is sitting up front, and I'm sitting in the back seat. And he's like, "All right, girl, give me pace notes. Give me pace notes." <laughs> and where you know he comes storming down the dirt driveway, and he grabs the handbrake, does the sort of drift uh, oh. onto the road, and uh, wouldn't you know it, car comes and boom, just cranks us right in the side. Oh, no. huge wreck! Oh my uh, gosh! The car was written off. Uh, <laughs> every airbag and every window was smashed. You're kidding. Uh, I, I, I had never been in a worse car accident. It was like a bomb went off. And wow. um, 
my ears were ringing and uh anyway so the car kind of gets spun around and ends up on this little embankment and um we get out of the car and everybody's like are you okay are you okay everybody was fine um sure enough uh what does he do we call a taxi and we hitch a ride to the airport and fly home and left the car on the side of the road no yeah <laughs> oh unbelievable oh, Hey, uh, <laughs> hey, budget rent a car? Yeah, you can find it in the field off of Third uh, and Seventy. Whatever. Forgot to drop it off. That's amazing. So well, I'm glad you guys were okay. That could have been really bad. Yeah, everybody was fine, and, and you know what? It gives us a story to tell now. <laughs> about, but it was, uh, yeah, it was interesting. That that is wild. 